Hello and welcome to The Agenda on the 31st of October 2022. It's Halloween, but thankfully we don't have anything too scary to report back to uh, over the weekend, other than the fact uh, that we actually are going to the Bernabeu on Wednesday. That's pretty damn scary, but uh, we can talk about that. We can get into details about that. I'm your host, Chris Gallagher. As we, uh, we're going to look back at the weekend, we're also going to look ahead to the upcoming week and we can talk about Celtic all over. All over. Yep, shot it there. I had no idea what I was saying there and I just said a phrase. Uh, I'm joined this week by Kieran Devlin as always. Hello, Kieran. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, uh, excited to talk about Celtic. They've been linked with a ball play in centre half. So it's a good. it's as good as Monday gets, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure your your ears and Christian's ears and all the people who want a ball playing centre half pricked up this morning as uh, the news filtered through. Uh, but we can certainly discuss that. Uh, Alan Edgar's also here. Alan, how are you, my friend? I'm good. Happy Halloween. That's that's about it. It's no joke. No nothing else that's that's just it i mean the joke is you've said it really seriously and i think it's confused everyone <laughs> to be fair it's... i wish you a happy halloween yeah maybe I, maybe i'd be the first to wish you a happy halloween um i do have halloween decorations up on my front door which is concerning me because pamela put them up yesterday she is at work all day today and won't be back until well past 7 p.m which then means that basically does get a big target on it for kids to come and chat the door and expect chocolate sweets money i don't know um so i'm quite nervous i'm not gonna lie i'm extremely nervous so i might take ronnie down to my mum's and just hide down there until pamela's home that's um, um i'm sure pe- people must have been in a situation before that's um that's... Alan, i can i can see you being one of those people that puts like uh, razor blades and chocolate for the kids <laughs> oh, jesus <laughs> jesus I'll, I'll teach them not to come back next year if they uh, if sliced open their guns. Jesus. You know, if razor blades were not ludicrously expensive, I could perhaps approach that. However, um, they are unaffordable at this point in time. That, so, yeah, that, that's the only reason you don't do it, Alan. That's the, that's the... That and obviously um, I love the outfits and the celebrations <laughs> and everything. I'm genuinely, I'm, I'm really panicking about I'm just going to go down to my mum's and hide, I think, because if, if I'm struggling to have conversation with two of my mates here at this time in the morning, how am I going to enjoy trick-or-treating later? Yeah, I, I, absolutely, Alan. I, I think you should have ended that a lot sooner than you did, but uh, that's absolutely fine. Happy Halloween, guys. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Back to Happy Halloween. Uh, great stuff. Uh, obviously, famous uh, Halloween victories, uh, you know, on the road to Seville. Was it Blackburn on Halloween? Um I think it was Blackburn, wasn't it? Uh, where we defeated them 1 0, uh, men against boys and all that. Great stuff. Um, sticking the it girl, down. The girl, Graham Sunnis. The girl. The girl. Um, sticking it we, down. We went out against Hearts in the Cup on Halloween, I remember. And um, Stephen McManus was sent off for what was quite literally a horror tackle. I think that was Halloween. Ah, um, yeah. I got. I, it's funny when you just see one thing. And it's just like, boom, right back in the memory. And Andrew Driver, I think he took it knee height and just walked straight off. Um, it was yeah. great. I mean, I, I do enjoy that tackle. A- Andrew Driver <laughs> is the guy that they basically changed the rules of how you could represent like the home nations inter- from an international football. And he never got a cap. <laughs> he never got a cap. So there you go. Um, 
as we say, it's uh, yeah, plenty to kind of be positive about this week with Celtic uh, and just in general. I think it's uh, uh, a good uh, we're in a good place. Um, I've got an opening question. We put asked out for questions from subscribers and listeners, uh, so I've got a question for you. Um, opening question is from uh, Mr. McMillan. It's from uh, Kieran McMillan. Uh, his opening question is. I heard a few times over the summer that we really needed to improve at left-back. We were all looking for the left-sided Juranovic. Have the performances of Greg Taylor shown that we are struggling for a consistent right-back performer? I think Juranovic is great, but it's almost November and he's not really given us a standout game this season. I don't notice a difference when Ralston is rotated in, which is a worry. Where's my right-back? Um... Interesting. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Greg Taylor over the weekend, over the last week or so, who he's been performing to a, an extraordinary level of consistency this season. Um, what's your thoughts? Well, well, Kieran, we'll start with yourself. Uh, just thoughts on Juranovic and Ralston and, you know, that right-back position. Um, yeah, I don't, Juranovic hasn't been as good this season. Um, I, thought, I thought it was good against Rangers. Um, I think that was maybe probably his best high-profile game. He's he, along with almost everybody, hasn't performed to the level we hoped in the Champions League. Um, but you know that's also including players. I, I argue, I'd argue like O'Reilly, Jota, Kyogo, like a number of our technically best players, just have been a little bit disappointing in the Champions League. And then it's been a bit harder because he has been rotated for those games for the past two months. He hasn't played as much domestically, and it's quite hard to build that form. But I do, I do, I do, I do sympathise with the point. I don't think he's been as good this year as it was last year. I, I also don't think Ralston's been as good this year as he was last year. I, I think Ralston has either been middling or quite poor at times. Um, and I, I, I still notice a difference in the level, particularly the pace and the ambition of the passing that Juranovic gives there. And I know, and a lot of the time it doesn't come off. But I do think Ralston is a player who tends, who likes to slow the game down um, a bit. And again, that's just people's preference. It's what we discussed last week with Moy. It's just people's preference for how they want the team to play. And personally, I like players like Juranovic and Atati, who are always trying to be bold and ambitious, even if it doesn't come off a lot of the time. Um, so I, I, I know what I mean, but I personally, I'm, I'm be quite curious in January because I do I I can see as selling an asset. I don't know whether. It would be someone like Juranovic or maybe Turnbull, someone someone like that. I, I mentioned last week that I, I really can't see it being one of our big players, a, a Jota or a Kyogo. I think it would be somebody in the Turnbull-Juranovic camp where it's maybe, maybe, maybe not the eight figures, but someone you can still get a decent fee from. Um, yeah, I think it's... I, I, I'm settled for at right back at the moment. Um, we know that both of them have their qualities. Neither of them having their best season, but we both know they have the the, the decent players in there. I also think it, it's just Taylor has been so good. It's just yeah. you know he has arguably been our best player of the season. For me, the only other candidate is Hatati. So it's just uh, it's just been put things really in perspective. That may, uh, on the other side, he hasn't had the the level. But Taylor's also played a lot of football at the same time. Like Bernabe has taken a while to come in. He had a couple of good performances and then an absolute stinker, and he's you know he didn't play the weekend, so he stopped that rotation option. So I, I do think that's a contributing factor as well. But personally, until the end of the season, unless your average goes, I'm quite settled with right back. I do think we've got 
a number of priority positions, centre-back, which we'll come on to soon. And also, I think the last couple of weeks have really hammered home how badly we need a number eight. Um, I really, really think we've got a massive rocket-shaped hole in that squad, and it's become really apparent over the last couple of months. Interesting points, Keenan. Uh, Alan, your kind of thoughts and take on the question? I think it's as fair to point out that um, Juranovic hasn't probably had the consistency that he had last season. I thought he was outstanding. Um, last season, I think, where he struggled particularly is just understanding, I think sometimes his positioning, I think he can be overly aggressive um, and it's led to him being caught out for you know a couple of key goals. And it's difficult as a fullback. If you are at fault, if you're the person that gets picked off, people remember it. It's um, And I think, you know, there's a couple of examples of that. Um, but like a number of players, and I think that's a really good point that Keenan's made, like a number of players in the team, you know, you, you do stick with them because you've seen the quality, you've seen the level that they can perform at. And I think everything that, that JJ has, I think you'd look at it and you say you would stick with them. I, I think we have a good balance between the two right-backs at the moment. Um, and I think Ralston's performance yesterday kind of highlights that given where the squad's at, we have good depth in that area and the two players that you can trust. It does rely heavily on them both playing well because I don't think either of them in that area are at the level that they can be below their best and still, you know, perform. I think you've got other players in the team that they could, you know, they could drop off a little bit, but they're still good enough. Yeah. I think they both need to be at their best. And I think um, Juranovic for me is, is your, your first choice right back, um, especially for the bigger games. But it's good to have the balance that you can bring in, Ralston, who, you know, is a really solid, steady performer. Um, but I think it's fair to point out, absolutely, JJ's not been his best, but you stick with him. Um, he is a talented footballer. It wasn't that long ago that, you know, he was being touted with, you know, big moves away. Maybe a little bit of ambitious in some of the clubs that that were named, just in my own opinion. I think we all kind of agreed that at the time that it seemed maybe just a little bit out there. But it does highlight he's a talented player. You know, he's he'll be a player that's going to the World Cup as well, presumably. And, you know, that's... I think for a player that must be an absolute dream. So you're hoping that he goes away there, has a great tournament and then comes back and he's refreshed and he's ready to go for what will be, you know, a really important domestic push. Um, so it's form. And I think you do need to allow players that, especially players that have shown you what they can do. Juranovic fits into that category for me. He's a player that's shown what he can do. I definitely would stick with him, work with him so that he can get back to that best. And hopefully his best is in a Celtic shirt. I think it is Right to point out, though, that January isn't that long away. We've only really got four games now until the transfer window opens, and I think there will be movement. Um, so it'll be interesting, especially in a World Cup year, you tend to have a slightly different transfer window um, off the back of a tournament. Obviously, normally it's in the summer. This year, you'll have the January transfer window right after it. So it'll be interesting, but JJ is he's, he's still a top-quality player for me, and he, he will get back to that level if he's still here for the rest of the season. I, I don't doubt that. Um, here's a question that's literally just came to my mind, um, and you know I've been trying to figure articulate this a little bit, but you know the squad of players we have, we have as as Alan and Kieran have both pointed out, players who are fantastic, like you know Hatati's fantastic, O'Reilly's fantastic, McGregor's fantastic, Juranovic, you know they're some of the best players we've had in these positions for for a, a lot of t- for a number of years, right? No question. But <clears throat> why are there so many players that form? 
is is there a specific reason for that? I mean, I'm just thinking about that now. You know, um, you know, Juranovic hasn't been in the best of form. Uh, Kyogo's not been in the best of form. Abada's you know been patchy. A lot of players who maybe aren't. Is it, am I just? Is it a case of just you know luck of a season and just this happens, or is there any more de- depth to it? Alan? What are your your thoughts? Is there anything to that? You think? I think when we step back a little bit and we divorce the the European games from the domestic games, I think there, there is a clear pattern that with the way we played in the Champions League that there were flaws that were exposed. Um, we played well in a lot of matches and players were allowed to shine, but when the, the balance was tipped the other way, that the players weren't able to recover it. And I think that was clear across quite a number of the Champions at least three of the five Champions League games so far. Domestically... I think we had a period where we did look a little bit sluggish. Obviously, St Mirren was an outlier, but I think we may have a tendency to overplay how badly out of form I think players were. Um, now, I, th- I think there's a number of players that certainly aren't playing at their best, but they're still performing their function within the, the team unit. And that is, I think we talked a lot last week about stars in the team and actually is the system the kind of the real star. And I think you are seeing that, that the way this system is, you know, trained, coached and performed, it doesn't it doesn't need one player to be outstanding for us to win. We don't need Jota to dig us out a hole and score a wonderful goal for us to win games. I think if we stick with it, we, the system will create enough chances and, you know, the, the players largely should put them away and you do trust them to do that. So I do think we maybe, and it's completely understandable and I've certainly been doing it a lot as well but I think when you take a step back you maybe think that we'd maybe overplay a little bit how how out of form players are and actually they're generally performing their functions well maybe just sometimes the execution um, at the top end of the pitch wasn't there but for a relatively short window I think so I think maybe there's just a wee bit of caution with it Kieran your thoughts? Yeah I'm, I'm the same I think we've all had like quite an intense emotional response to the disappointment of the Champions League um, I think that's had a big impact on how we're reflecting on the system and just tenure, the, the you know the the players themselves. You know, like especially in the Champions League, it's been quite um, notable that you know Hatati and Kyogo in September were our two best players or two of our best players, and now you've got some fans wanting them punted in January. It's it's um, it's just you know there's not. It's not to criticise that. It's just football fans are really emotional. And because we were riding so high on this team, we had such high hopes and expectations. To have them a very aggressive reality check in this Champions League, I think it's sort of like tempered that a bit. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard... I do, I do agree with Alan. I, I think we, we have overstated how bad players are about in form. They, have, they haven't been at their best. Like I, I think even though even when he wasn't scoring, I do think Kyogo was offering... A lot else. I know that chance. It was the same thing with like Maeda's cross against um, Leipzig and Kyogo's miss against Shakhtar. Those are the big moments you re- you remember as like just as things you you might believe illustrate just how bad they've been. But I do think if you try and take them in the wider context, it has been overstated. I also think we've got this is we've got. I've mentioned it before, but we've got a lot of confidence players in that team. Players who do need to get. Get themselves a good game. Like I think after Kyogo's game yesterday was one of his best in ages. 
because he got that goal, like a really, really brilliant finish, which we'll obviously come to. And then he played really well afterwards. Like, you know, his, um, his, his some of his touches, some of his movement was superb. It was like him back to his best, even if he didn't get a second goal or even really a second chance because you're playing Livy away and you're going to get very few chances. Um, so I do think it's just we need to build a confidence back up. And, and like Alan, I'm, I'm confident it will be because we don't have European football to, <laughs> to make us, um, you know, hammer home how mediocre our players actually are in the grand scheme of things. We do. We are after after this week. We will be back to you know, the dreary domestic side of things, which is grim in a lot of ways because it'll be ten months before we can properly test ourselves again. But at least you know we can get back to saying, "Oh, how class are our players?" Rather than a reminder that at the at the top level they have a lot of limitations. Um, so I do. I'm I'm confident we will find our gear again. And you know, I think after the World Cup. When we've only got domestic duties to focus on, maybe we do get one, two, three signings that improve or address some of the issues that we do have in personnel. Then things can get back up to work speed where we're the kind of football we're playing in August and the start of September. But I, it's just, it's just been it's been a massive reality check the Champions League, um, and I think Ange knows that more than anyone, and I'm sure the players do as well. But it's just. Rebuilding confidence for a young, a lot of young guys who have just been very unused to playing at this level before. Yeah, I, I can agree more. Good points. Uh, there's a question we got from uh, Pat McHugh. Um, Hi guys, I can't be the only person pulling my hair out about Ralston. Uh, that's baldest actually. Uh, disgraceful Pat. He is consistently the poorest performer in the team whenever he plays, and it's now sticking out like a sore thumb. However, there seems to be a general reluctance to address it. I get that everyone loved his story arc last season. But A, that was last season, and B, he wasn't as good as last last year as some think he was. When Ralston looks back on his career a decade from now, last season will stand out as his greatest achievement, but we now have revision, reversion to the mean, and it shows he looks short in confidence and as if he knows that he's not contributing as he should. His biggest asset used to be ability to deliver at times, a cracking ball in the box. These have now become aimless. My biggest fear is we sell Juranovic in January and are stuck with him for the season. Without wanting to sound dramatic, he has become, a, <laughs> become to write back as Bane is the goalkeeper. Keep up the good work, Pat McHugh. Um, cutting a promo on. Um, are you are you going to be taking Ralston on in some sort of bout at some point, Pat? Uh, this uh, it's a a damning. It was nice of Pat to take time out his day busting balls in the park to send us a wee message. Well, <laughs> um, Pat, I hope you're good, mate. Yeah, um, fair fair point, uh, Kieran. You'd probably agree with most of that. Um, I wouldn't go. I wouldn't go that far. Um, I, don't, I don't think he's been great this season. I think when you watch a lot of the goals we've conceded, he has quite a lot of responsibility for a lot of the goals we've conceded domestically this season. And I don't think he's contributed that much in possession and going forward as he did last year. He has he has dropped off, but as, you know, as I say, so is Juranovic. And I, 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 I just think you know they've both dropped off to to, their, to a certain extent. Where I, I think. I think, yeah, as I say, like I do think right back is something you can maybe look to upgrades in the, in the future. But I do think there's more pressing positions, and I think I, I'd be worried if Ralston was our only right back. Um, but I, I am, I'm maybe naively optimistic that if Rudyanovich was to leave, we'd have a replacement very quickly lined up, or even bring in maybe show some. Uh, Pro- proactive uh, thinking and maybe even bring in the replacement before you sell them um, and do something that most modern clubs do but Celtic have tended to avoid 
Um, but I, I think maybe I wouldn't go that far and say he's having a, a dreadful season or anything. I think he's he's veered between poor and fine, and for the most part, um, I think he's. But you know, Juranovic has been doing that as well. Even though I think Juranovic's level is 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 higher, so is his drop off in terms of performance levels isn't as significant. But yeah, I don't think it's I don't th- I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't say you know he's had the the pain. Of, of, of right backs I feel maybe slightly harsh personally uh, Alan thoughts I was in the pretty much the first row well the second row I don't need to be coy about it the second row of the game yesterday and when we scored the first goal Ralston celebrated almost directly in front of where we were sitting and the reason I'm going to be extremely pro Ralston is because having seen the man celebrate with a bit of venom in him he could crush me like a great <laughs> So <laughs> I'm very conscious of that when I now um, pass comment on his uh, his performances. I understand the point. I don't think, I'm not of the opinion that um, Ralston should be our first choice right back. Um, but I think in terms of looking at the overall squad, where we're at, I'm, I'm more than comfortable with him as a, as a backup and a, as a rotational option. I think him and JJ are very, very different in what they bring. Ralston's probably better at driving without the ball as a overlapping fullback and then, you know, less touches, whereas JJ can genuinely bring the ball out with the ball at his feet and be oppressed with his ability dribbling with the ball, which is pretty unique for a fullback. He's probably the only defender in our team that can actually do that. Um, but that then comes with risks. So they are very different. But I think Ange largely has done a good job of rotating them in. And I think fullback is a position that he does want to rotate because the demands of it are quite severe. Um, and again, probably similar to JJ, he's not... He's certainly not been at his best, but I think he does bring something to the team. Um, he's not anywhere near as technically gifted as some of the other players in the team, but as a rotational slash backup right back, I'm, I'm more than comfortable with him there. And you know, I, I think he's shown enough to um, to highlight that he can be that. Again, I always think if we get to the point where we're not happy with the backups and the positions then that's probably a good reflection in the first 11. But I feel like there's other areas that we could look at before we then start considering whether uh, a second choice right back is is good enough or not. But um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's a fair point. You know, it's everybody's entitled to their opinion. Uh, great questions. Thanks uh, to uh, Kieran and to Pat. Uh, good questions to open up the agenda. Um, <clears throat> I'll just start with what we've got coming up for you. We've got 10 podcasts this week, if you can believe it. Um, today, we've got the agenda, which you can are currently listening to. Uh, drops every Monday at 1pm. Tomorrow, we've got the review, which will be Christian and Graham. They will break down and look in detail at the Livingston game. And I think they'll look back at the Shakhtar game as well and just uh, give a review from a tactics and stats point on that. Uh, when Wednesday we've got the preview for the Real Madrid game that will drop on Wednesday morning at 6am just so everyone's got the opportunity to uh, listen to it nice and early uh, specifically because the game itself is 5.45 kickoff. Wednesday as well um, after the game we'll have the reaction to that Real Madrid game as well. Thursday we've got the Celtic Women's Football Show which will be dropping at midday on Thursday. Thursday evening we've got the Cynic Weekly as always Um, and on Friday we've got something a little bit different. Um, so the lunch club usually records at, at midday, um, and we put it out. Sorry, half twelve, and we put it out about two. Uh, what we're going to do this week and next week before the break is we're going to try something a little bit different. So Friday at midday, the preview will uh, will drop for the Dundee United game, which will be opposition analysis and the point of view of the Dundee United uh, support. We'll put that out as its own podcast on Friday at midday. Then. 
Later on that night, uh, 6 p.m., we'll be recording The Lunch Club Late. I think we'll, call, we'll try and come up with a, fa- a fancier name. Um, I've been racking my brain. But we'll, Cynic After Dark. Cynic After Dark. That sounds sexy. Mm. So, Depends who's going to be on. Uh, Are you on, Christopher? I, I am. Okay. Oh, thank you. Oh, okay. Yes. Good. Good. Positive. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Um, so um, at six o'clock we'll be recording uh, the lunch club late or cynic after dark if you prefer Um, and uh, what we'll do is we'll discuss the Dundee United game in a little bit more detail we'll look over the we'll discuss the press conference uh, Andrew's uh, points on the press conference Uh, we'll discuss some of the tactical elements of it and uh, yeah we'll give our teams and we'll give our um, kind of breakdowns of what we think will happen so that's less sexy Ah, uh, yeah. I, I mean, we talk about the tactics and whatnot. Uh, <laughs> it sounds maybe cynic after that wouldn't work. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we'll come up with that. We'll come up with a more technical name. Um, Saturday, we've got the reaction dropping uh, for the Dundee United game straight afterwards, and then on Sunday, we've got World Cup Celtic, uh, which will be myself and Barry Gallagher, and uh, Barry will be picking his World Cup Celtic squad, so making up a World Cup squad based on Celtic players. Uh, so, th- I think it's a thirty-two man squad. Um, but yeah, all the details of that will be dropped on Sunday. So have a look and uh, yeah, stick with us. Let, let your pals know. Uh, the Cynic is here, daily content. And uh, away we go. Um, I wanted to highlight the fact that the Celtic Foundation uh, have uh, donated £400,000 to help uh, those affected by the fuel crisis. Uh, just some points here. Celtic have donated £400,000 to help people throughout Scotland during the cost of living crisis. The club's charity arm announced the donation on Friday and says the money will go towards aiding those in fuel crisis across the country. Celtic FC Foundation has fully funded the initiative and will assign fuel vouchers worth £49 to around 6,200 households. The charity, which is working in partnership with Fuel Bank, Foundation says the donations will help around 17,000 people struggling uh, the length and breadth of Scotland. An additional 500 individuals will receive winter warm self-care packages worth around £100 each. The packages will be offered to to existing Foundation programme participants living in poverty or relying on the state pension and will consist of items aimed at helping individuals to cut energy use throughout the colder months such as blankets, socks, hand warmers and a £30 food voucher as fridge running costs are lower than fridges in full. They will also distribute to the wider community, prioritising vulnerable, vulnerable and elderly people. Um, you know, we're very quick to attack the club in a lot of ways for a lot of different things, but this is a fantastic initiative and uh, absolutely superb stuff from the Celtic Foundation. Um, hats off, Alan, of course. Yeah, I, just when you read that out there, some of the phrases that you have to actually say is just, it's an absolute scandal that that is required. But it's obviously, it's very valuable help um they have a, a existing a little client base if you like if you want to use that term of people that will gladly receive that assistance but um that, that, that is an absolute scandal that that is required and that's necessary and that you actually have to have discussions about how to um i don't have an issue with having a discussion about how to limit your energy use if that's just for the betterment of the environment as opposed to so that you can actually or decide if it's you know if you have enough um credit in your meter to wash shower before work or whatever it might be um but you know that that is a scandal it's probably something we can't address here but we're trying to have a nice time on a monday so we'll just say that's really good Celtic foundation do excellent work and um as do a lot of other local charities as well so it's, it's good to see it's good that the kieran it's good that the club are kind of um you know pushing forward with that charitable arm yeah, definitely, and I think it's it's been 
good that they respond to this specific crisis as well, um, because it is something that's going to get worse as we get into winter. Um, you know, hopefully, like this is brilliant, and and hopefully, they they keep it up as as like as gen a very generous donation as it is. This is something you know when we think of Celtic as as a charity first and foremost. Obviously, that's a very um, maybe sentimental view given as a PLC and what what's become over the time, but as as I'm saying, we're, we're, is it one day we want to be quite optimistic about things, and we were, and because the foundation do good work, really hopeful this is something they they do continue, um, because it, this situation is going to get worse before it gets better. But that's obviously further down the line, and what they've done so far is, is absolutely brilliant. So yeah, and I mean, you're grateful for it as well for that. Your club is doing something. It does feel good. We, we, as you say, we criticise them for a lot, a lot of stuff, but this is a really, really brilliant thing that could genuinely save lives. Like, like genuinely, that this is this is how grim is going to get this winter. So yeah, yeah, this is brilliant. Alan, you wanted to quickly say something. Yeah, just whilst we're, you know, it's it's right to praise the foundation for coordinating it, um, and they do do really good work in you know directing funds to where it is needed, and it is a very generous donation, but it is. You know the people who fundraise for them, and the people that put their hand in their pocket. You know whether it's standing outside Celtic Park in a pissing rain with a bucket, um, trying to get a pound of time off people or whatever it is, or whether it's people doing you know different things. Um, you know, it's people do go do a hell of a lot to try and raise money so that they can do things like this. So it's a real, you know, as a significant effort, not just from our support but from people that kind of back the foundation. So it's. Um, it's really good to see, and I think they deserve as much praise as you know the foundation themselves do. I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more with that. That's um, excellent uh, point raised, Alan. Um, so yeah, um, hopefully there'll be more kind of uh, everyone will band together and try their best because obviously, yeah, it's going to get worse as Kieran says. But <clears throat> let's try and stay a little bit positive. Let's let's focus on. Um, okay, so we have good news uh, in regards to transfer potential transfers. Um, uh, Yuki Kobayashi. Um, will transfer to Celtic, apparently, as Hoops linked with January move. So he's a 22-year-old left-sided centre-half. Um, a fee has reportedly been agreed with his club, uh, Viso Kobe, pa- paving the way for a mid-season transfer. According to... So this is according to Japanese media site sponiki.co.jp. The defender will transfer to Celtic in Scottish Premier League or Scottish Premiership in January. According to multiple sources, a formal offer has already arrived and an agreement has been reached between the club clubs. Kobayashi himself seems to have decided to take on this first overseas challenge and plans to sign a formal contract after undergoing a medical check on site. Um, he seems to be, as I say, 22-year-old uh, they talk about his precise left foot and positivity and build-up play. I love the way this has been tra- this has been trans um, transcribed from Japanese. So it's it's like Mister Sparkle stuff. I'm Mister Sparkle. Um, so yeah, I mean <clears throat> this is all positive. Um, again, nothing's been confirmed anywhere other than this this one media site. But uh, Yuki uh, Kobayashi, 22 years old, left-sided player, left-footed. He's good with the ball at his feet. He's a ball playing centre half. Kieran Devlin, you must be in bloody dreamland, my friend. I was. I was. Somebody posted the one in the chat. So, like, it was just 10 pm last night. So, I was like, I was incredibly hungover yesterday, which we'll come to in the discussion of the game. Um, but it was like, it was that thing where you're just going to bed early, you've got a bit of a headache. It's like, oh, I'll just restart tomorrow. And then, as soon as I saw that, I just like jumped, jumped out of bed and, then went and just started like 
pouring over, I don't know, his Wikipedia page and everything. Just like like finding out, uh, I don't know, Santa's come at Christmas Eve or something. Um, that was great. I, I had a great time. And then I was looking over, you know, the, the, I think um, Dave Flanagan sent over um, like a article about him and all the all the nerdy stats, uh, underlying stats, and everything. I had a great. I've had a great um, twelve hours or so. I can, I can tell you. So yeah, very, very excited. I like the dream profile. Obviously, you never, you can never tell how it's going to be in in practice. As the Avogad signing has <laughs> shown, you can. There's no guarantee that just because a player looks ideal on paper, they're going to be a success. But um, yeah, I'm very excited. If, and obviously, it's not even confirmed. We're quite far away from it being confirmed by the club and seeing them in a jersey. But if it does come off um, on paper, I'm very excited about it. And he is he is the exact type of player we need. Because I do think, you know, the Champions League has maybe highlighted quite a few issues we needed. But one of the ones that absolutely is, is how limited our centre-backs are on the ball. I think that's been one of the biggest red flags of where this team are. So I'm very happy it's being addressed in January and then we can build on that for the end of next season and hopefully have fix one of our problems um, in Europe next season as well. Because I've made it quite... Uh, yeah, I don't think Jens is the answer. <laughs> I think I've made that quite clear and my recent weeks hasn't changed that at all. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd be quite excited if this comes up. Uh, Alan, um, your kind of initial thoughts on uh, the, the player, the profile... The fact that Celtic are even just being linked with players at this time in the season. I think first of all, I'd like to say that Kieran's Halloween outfit should, without doubt, now be dressing up as Charlie Bucket's grandfather. The way he's, <laughs> he described leaping out of bed there, um, I think that's an absolute stick on. Very good. Um, I think, I think what's positive about it, we, we can obviously, you know, th- there'll be a lot of opinions that I imagine thrown out now about the player. First of all, what it highlights is that there is. Um, there's a requirement to bring in someone else. Now, we can discuss how that affects the pecking order, whether that's James, whether it's Welsh, whether it's one of the existing centre-halves, maybe moving on. There's so many options. But what it does highlight is that I think that is not a position where Andrew's entirely satisfied with what he has at his disposal. Yeah. Um, and I think Kieran's probably right in his assessment. That probably James is the one who sticks out because he's, he's not a permanent signing. Um, he has played a lot, but probably due to Staffelt's injury. Um, and to get him to the stage of being a guaranteed starter in a good Celtic side, I think would require a lot of work and probably time, which is something that you tend not to be afforded. Um, so I think it's positive that, again, we've had success in that market. Um, it's on paper addressing some of the weaknesses. A left-sided ball playing centre half if he happens to be good is something that we probably wouldn't be able to afford if he, if it was a European player so hopefully it's another example of us using the dynamics of our current situation quite well um, so I'm really, I'm really positive about it it would be good again to have additions in January that might be able then to energise us going into the second half of the season we've seen what the impact of um, our January signings earlier this year had um, so it's really exciting, really positive. I've only read what has been a most people will have at this point. I haven't looked at the player, um, but it, it sounds sounds positive. Again, just the one thing to caution: it will yeah, we're not going to bring in someone who's a finished article. There will be flaws, no doubt. There will be things that um, we see if he does sign and he does play. There'll be things that I'm sure we'll see in the first couple of months that needs ironed out and tidied up, but. 
what we have seen is that there is a potential upside um, and we are shopping in a market that we otherwise maybe couldn't afford if they played anywhere else in, um, in world football. So exciting, really positive and I'm looking forward to, you know, maybe once it's a bit more concrete, having a look at the players, seeing what he'll bring. I think for me, the kind of, um, I, I, again, like everyone, I think this is a, a, a massively positive uh, step forward if it's confirmed by the club, if it happens. The only the only caution I would put in is, to kind of back up Alan's point is the pressure that's going to come on this lad um, because, you know, he's a left-sided ball-playing centre-half. Those That sentence alone I, I brings so much, much pressure. And that, that's my worry that, you know, <clears throat> that we put so much pressure on these players that they kind of, you know, they're either going to really take it on board and, and push through or they might buckle a little bit. And you, you can buckle without completely collapsing. You can use that to kind of turn it around. One positive I would say is bringing them in this early, <clears throat> you'd want them to play. I, I would want them to play in the second half of this season. Get them up to speed, Kieran. Get them in, into the team. Get them to know how to play. So by the time you know Champions League comes around, qualifiers, whatever, he's got an opportunity to just step in. I'll get your thoughts as well in a second, Kieran. What's your thoughts on that? No, hundred percent. Yeah, I think we saw the benefit with that. You know, again, it's a bit of a different scenario because we went straight into the Champions League. But you'd, you'd have and the fact that Hatati did start brilliantly. But I do think the fact that by the by, the time the Champions League rolled around, Tate was, you know, basically self, our, our best player at that point. Um, he'd had the time, you know, the nine months or so to bed it to bed in to learn the system, to, but also I think to to get the culture as well. Um, I think that's been a big thing I've I've noticed as you mentioned earlier the, the pressure of being a left footed ball playing centre back, and we know centre backs if you make a mistake it's it's a big thing. That's especially true for a 22-year-old and it's especially true also for a player not used to European football fan culture because I think it's been quite noticeable how when the fans drone and turn on the players in Celtic Park, um, Hatati, Maeda and Kyogo are, are affected by it, whereas I think guys who have European players, British players who are a bit more used to that sort of culture maybe are a bit more resilient to the crowd turning on the players a bit. Whereas I think it really affected Hattie and it's really last season and it's really affected Maida this season. So I, I think and you know those guys were a bit older than this guy will be a bit, um, and you know they're not even playing in as positions that, that as are pressured or you know prone to mistakes to, that might <laughs> anger the crowd a bit more. So I think that's another issue he'll he will have to deal with, especially if he is going to try to be ambitious for this passing, which we want, which we want to encourage. At least I do. You know he's not. I imagine if he is, he is going to be the guy who is going to be there, who's going to try and dribble, who's going to try and make those either big um, cross-field balls or those vertical passes between between lines through under pressure, under pressing. So I think it's going to be, I think that's another side to it as well. But you know, it, you know, this is casting judgment on his character. He could, he could be have like completely steely resolve and be unfussed by everything around him. In which case, fantastic. But I do, I do think there is maybe a bit of a culture change that play, players coming from the J-League had to get used to about playing in front of European football fans as well. Alan, you want to come in? Yeah, I, I think that's a very valid point. I think I think all players can be affected by the crowd, but I think it's right to point out that they are visibly, um, quite clearly affected by it. I think you can see it. Um, I think the, the other thing that jumps out with the, the potential signing is... At, 
and it is unfair, but there is no doubt that there would be a discussion to be had. You would then, as it stands, have five centre-halves for, for two starting positions with no European football. Um, someone will realise that what might already be limited minutes are now going to be extremely limited. Now, whether a decision is made that it would be a bed in period that they might not contribute, I don't think there's anything in Ange's makeup or what we've seen so far that suggests that he would bring a player in and not use him if he felt that he was worthwhile yeah. um, or better than what he has. So I think given that, and that no European football thing is particularly important, you have those big games, you don't have to commit to a European squad. I think there there, there would be a set of half in there that, that would be, you know, Stephen Welsh is the one that jumps out potentially. If all, all are fit and available, if you're struggling to get minutes at the moment, bringing in someone else potentially is not going to assist with that. And you would be, you know, Jens maybe one, Welsh might be another that you would be looking at thinking, well, where do I see myself? Um, at, at the age I'm at, at what I've shown, how do I get first team football between now and the summer? You know, or do I just accept that for five months I might not play unless there's severe injuries? It just, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, I feel like it would be something that if they did bring a player in, the manager would probably need to consider a discussion there or, you know, look at exploring options. And I think Stephen Welsh is the one that, given that he has shown that he's capable of playing in the first team, um, if he was to potentially be then competing for, to be on the bench, you know, he's probably, I like Stephen Welsh. I think he's as a as a fourth choice centre half, a homegrown player. There's so much to have there. But if he's not going to find himself making match day squads, I'm not saying that that would be the case. He might be happy to compete. But if he's not, then he's too good a player to, to not be playing at all. And at the age he's at, he needs to be playing football, he needs to be playing more regularly. So I think that's what would jump out at me um, at this point. If it does go ahead in January, if this player is someone that I just think can contribute from the outset, you know, there's got to be a bit of movement um, out the door, I think. Um, just on that, uh, two things. The first thing being, obviously, Jens is still only on loan. So, I mean, you could just cancel that loan or just, I don't, I don't know how that would, I don't know the kind of dynamics and the legalities of that, but you could just send them back to his club in January, potentially, uh, and keep Stephen Welsh. And that would be four centre-halves if Starfelt comes back fit. The other thing I would say is, if you look at, you know, we talked about this last last uh, kind of summer and stuff, um, or even last January. If you look at how young Scottish players are performing in Serie A, for example, you know, you've got uh, Hickey who performed well there. You've got uh, Doig who's doing well now. F- um, Lewis Ferguson who scored his uh, first goal last week for Bologna. There is a market there that, like, the Italian clubs are now looking at this market thinking, there's players here that we can take and we can mould. If I was Stephen Welsh and Celtic, who obviously your boyhood club and everything, said to you, we're not, we're not necessarily, it might, as Alan says, it might be a bit of a struggle to even make the bench when everyone's fit and you've got a full complement of players and you have interest. For me, I would be like, you know, I want to play first team football. I'm sure Stephen Welsh has got international. He was under 21 captain. I'm sure he's got uh, aspirations to play for the national team. So, you know, all these things kind of add up and correlate and it might not even be Celtic's decision. He might just turn around and say, look, you know, Celtic might want him to be that fourth choice centre back and he he might say, actually, I want to kind of push on, Alan. Yeah, and, and I think it, this sounds, the way we're discussing this, and I'm always very conscious of this, it, this isn't us saying this is what we think or what we want to see. This is just the, the dynamics of Ange has opted to use Jens 
before Stephen Welsh. Yeah. Despite Jens making some pretty high profile errors. And he's clearly feels that Jens will improve and he'll iron out those issues and that the upside is better and it's worth sticking with. And that, that's fine. That's that's a decision that he makes and, and he'll stick by. But that won't be lost in Stephen Welsh. And it doesn't matter how good Ange is at um if he does have discussions with players or whether he just lets them battle out and you know learn through who he picks at the weekend. He will be aware of that. Stephen Welsh will think about this more than any other person in the world because it's his career. So look, being at your boyhood club must be incredible. But it does come a point when you do think, I am too good not to be involved. Stephen Welsh hasn't been involved. I know that he, he missed a couple of games with an injury, but he has played second fiddle to, to Jens and presumably that would then push him further down the pecking order when Carol Starfelt is back and available, which is obviously, you know, it's unlikely we've seen too much before the World Cup. But after that, you would imagine if Starfelt's fit and available, probably you suck Jens for that starting point. Does that then push Stephen Welsh down to fourth? Um, you know, it's there comes a point for a professional Celtic fan or not where you think I need to play football for the betterment of my career. So this isn't us saying we think Stephen Welsh will. It's it, it, he's not getting game time at the moment. Bringing in another centre half is not going to help him with that. Um, so you know that's something that I think it is fairly obvious to people that he might look to seek a move elsewhere, and you know. I, I wouldn't have an issue with that. He, he does have a value. He's, his, his stock is certainly much higher than it was prior to Ange coming in. So, you know, he's, he'll have plenty of options. Yeah. Kieran? Um, so I, I knew Welsh's agent and his family quite well when my old job, and he, he did want a loan in the summer. He wanted to move away in the summer. And just because game time is, is, is massive for him, he, 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 I think he did feel frustrated by being pushed to fourth choice. Um, and he just wants to be playing football every week because it's the same thing I always say. You know, as you say, like Celtic is a boyhood club, they're a massive Celtic family. But I, I always say these guys are just very, very ambitious young men who want to make the best of their career, who want to be the best footballers they can be. And to do, you know, it's great having a great manager, being at your boyhood club. But to realise that ambition, you have to be playing football week in week out. So I, I, I think, I think, you know, I. Could be entirely wrong, but I think it's more likely that would be Welsh going on loan rather than like cancelling Jens's uh, loan short. But at the same time, and I do think realistically, whether it's in January or in the next summer, I think Welsh will go away, go permanently, will move permanently. Um, what I think would be interesting, and people might say, you know, that's another yet another failure of the academy that they've not integrated this young player, one of the academy players who've actually made an impact at first team level and he's left at, at 22, 23, you know, maybe, but I think it, I'd argue it's a success of the academy because yeah. you're, you're producing them and, you know, his stock is still high, you know, his, his value is still high, you know, the, what is it in Asia? It was three and a half million or something. Three and a half million for an academy player is a massive success for that programme at a time when it's really lacking in success. You know, that if he is sold for three, three and a half million, wouldn't that automatically make him the second second largest fee for a Celtic player for a Celtic Academy player this century. Like it's <laughs> it's not been a overly successful program. Um, I'm trying to rack my brains to see if whether apart from McGee and, and, and Tierney. Tierney. And yeah. Apart from that, like we've just not had a decent sale sale from the from an Academy player. So I, I do think, you know, it's it'd be 
a shame that he wouldn't, if, you know, this is all speculation at this point, but if, it'd be a shame if it didn't quite work out for him at Celtic, but at the same time, it would be exciting for him to embark on this new journey and it would be a tally mark in the academy's uh, favour at a time where it's very, very fairly getting scrutinised for not, not producing enough good quality players. Uh, Alan, you want to come in there, sorry? Yeah, I think it was just on that, the, if if that was to happen, January, summer, whenever, I think it's probably worth pointing out um, that it, it would absolutely be a success because look, Stephen Welsh had loan spells at numerous clubs and struggled. We, I think we recorded January 2020 maybe and we looked at Stephen Welsh and we looked at pretty much everything he had did, Dundee United, uh, no, Grant Morton, you know, he, he just struggled everywhere he had been. Um, played it right back, maybe wasn't physical enough for centre-half. To then go to contributing, being a big part of the team that, that doubled success last year, and then to move on potentially for a fee, you know, anything from two to four million pounds, would absolutely be deemed a success, and it would be one that you look at, and I think it would be another of the Anthony Ralston-type scenarios where a player who you probably felt wasn't good enough at Celtic, but you managed to integrate them into the system get valuable game time out of them so that they contribute to what you succeed in a park and then move them on under contract to another club where they can go and flourish. Maybe not at the level we think, but you don't know where careers will go. So I think it would be under that bracket of you've brought through a player who's not what you would describe as a generational talent, but you have worked well with them, the managers worked well with them, and they go on elsewhere for a fee. That has to be what you look at because you're not going to bring through a Kieran Tierney or an Aidan McGinney style player one one in every year you know they are one in every decade um, after that so you need to then look at the other players and see how do we work with them we need a squad of 25 players surely our academy can contribute at least a fifth of that um, they might not be five starters but there'll be five players that the manager can call on if need be as part of a bigger squad so that's I think sometimes where the academy needs to aim towards not being the best player in the Celtic team will come from the academy, which at the moment it does, which is great. But how many people, how many players from the academy can we have in the first team? That to me would be a more achievable and also bigger mark, bigger success than having one player who's just incredible because that's very difficult to do and depends on so many factors that are out with the club's control. Kieran? Yeah, and I think that's spot on, but I think it's also about the cycles of these players as well. Like, this is Welsh's third season of contributing, maybe if not regularly, at least meaningfully to the, the first team um, this season. Um, and I think at that stage, I think if you're like a, having a well run academy, a well run club, then you'd say, right, this is the time where he's, what, 22 now, mid um, turns 23 soonish, you sell him now. Um, He's done. He's done his part. He's he's got his winners' medal. He's contributed a lot. He's got had some really special moments. Got scored some good goals um, from corners. Then he can go and continue his career elsewhere. This is where you're wanting his successor for those five players that Alan's talking about. This is where you want an 18 year old or 19 year old to now step up into that role. I think the only issue, obviously, Alan's talking about an ideal situation and the current academy, as we've talked about to death, isn't an ideal situation. There's no, you know, people. Optimistic about Lowell. He's not had a good 2022. Uh, Dane Murray is obviously had this long term injury. So it's not even just, you know, those are the centre backs, but it's not just centre backs. It's just the players, you know, that 18, 19 year old bracket. None of them are really delivering. There's nobody that's 
overly exciting at that stage. And there's a couple of guys at 17 who are maybe a bit more exciting. But then again, we said that about Lobao and Dane Bunny a couple of years ago. It's it's, it's, a, it's a bit frustrating, but I think Alan Spawn, and that's where we should be aspiring to. It's just a shame that, you know, it's just when they get to the 17, 18, 19 mark, you know, they show so much talent before then. And then there's just something going wrong at that age bracket where they they just stagnate. And, you know, well, we're not going to revise stuff we've talked about all the time about the structure of the bees and other 17s and everything. But I do think Welsh is the archetype of what you want an academy player to be if they're not going to be a generational talent. You want them to be able to come in, deliver for a couple of seasons, pick up a winner's medal, get good memories, then move on. So I do think that he has been a success at Celtic, even if he's not been a Tierney or McGeady. I think you can really look at him as one of the academy's big successes. Yeah, I agree. And um, if he does move on, then he's someone who I genuinely will track his career. And uh, I could see a, a Scotland cap coming if he gets a bit of consistency somewhere. So lots to look forward to uh, for, for Stephen, I think. Um, for Stephen. Jesus, who, you don't know him. Idiot. Punish him with a Scotland cap as well. <laughs> career can't always be highs. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Ange uh, had an update on, we're going to talk about Livingston in just a moment. Ange had an update on uh, Callum McGregor. Um, he's a constant, this is uh, quotes from Ange, he's a constant presence. He's always around the dressing room. The recovery's going well, but we won't see him before the break. Callum being Callum, he's pushing every boundary and is probably ahead of schedule, which is no surprise to us. Speaking to him, he's in a really good space and is really pleased with, with how it's going. He realises when he came back, when he comes back, there's still a fair bit of the season to go, the most important part of the season. He wants to be a big contributor in that. Music to your ears. Um, the, the breaks probably came at a really good time for him as well. So would be Callum will have had some time, obviously, to recover, but he'll obviously have some time to rest as well. Um, I'm sure he's kind of um, absolutely kind of desperate to get back. But Alan, Callum McGregor coming back as the most important part of the season, the second half of the season kicks off. Uh, delighted. Yes, he's a he's a massive part of what we want to do on the pitch, and I think um, it feels like a very very long time ago actually that we were having discussions about would he make a good captain um, because yeah. he, he really has I'd say grown into that role, but I think he's maybe all you know, those qualities were there, and um, you know we just don't see them um, the same way in the park. He's always been a big communicator in the park, so it's been really good. It's interesting to hear Ange. Um, just as a, a kind of side note, mention that he has been, I think, what was the expression, ever present or yeah, always yeah, around. Yeah. S- some managers have different approaches with injured players. Um, some managers in different sports, maybe even injured players, can be seen as a negative influence um, because there is a, especially long term injuries, it can be, it can be something that gets players down. Um, so a lot of the, uh, some coaches will not treat them like you know, lepers, that may be a bit harsh, but they do try and segregate them a little from the the squad because, you know, that influence can be seen as a negative. But I don't doubt that Callum McGregor is a consummate professional and, um, you know, that he drives the team on it. It's slightly different because he is the captain. But I just thought it was interesting to hear that. He's still a big part of the, the kind of the match day operations, if you like. It's, it's good to see. And you would expect that from a captain, but just a wee interesting aside. Yeah, um, Kieran, what's your kind of thoughts on uh, you're excited to see McGregor back, essentially, right? Yeah, I am. I, I think some people mentioned it a bit, but I, don't, I think he's he was a, he's been a big miss in the last two Champions League games. I think he's been a big, big miss. I think O'Reilly's done a decent job in, the, in his stead, 
But I just think what McGregor gives you that urgency, that ability to just like take the game by the scruff of the neck, dictate the tempo, that's just been lacking. I, I do think when Celtic have flagged and they've been a bit flat, that's traditionally when McGregor, especially last season, has been really good at, you know, basically exerting his authority over a game. And it was, I think those were two of the biggest problems with the, the Shakhtar and Leipzig home games. Um, so, I, yeah, I think he's, he is a really important player. Yeah, he wasn't playing brilliantly before he got injured, but he was he, just the way he, the level of control and urgency he gives, I think is so important, especially, especially when, you know, we haven't been playing brilliantly all the, all the time. We've still got, you know, a records point total massed since what the um 67 season i think this end um we're, we're like you know we, we even when we're not playing well i think it's just like our expectations are so standardly high at this point that we don't realize how well we've been doing in terms of results this season um quite enough um but yeah i think it's been i, I we've really missed them and i think we've really missed off it as well i really think i um, I, you know, there's been a lot of what if situations with the Champions League about finishing, about McGregor being there, all those kind of things. But we didn't have Starfield for any of the Champions League games, and I know people, some people aren't a big fan of his. I am a big fan of his. You know, I don't think he's a great on the ball, but I think just his his intelligence in reading the game and defending his box is outstanding. And I think we have really, really missed him. Um, in some big moments in the Champions League, so I, I do. I think both those players back will be brilliant if we bring in another ball playing centre back in January as well. Superb, but I think Starfield and McGregor, and j- before that Jota as well. You know, we have had three key players missing these last few weeks and months, even. So I think, yeah, it's it's great to ha- have them back, and you know, really, we always say it, but like when you can, we said it in January last year, well, last season as well. Just having that mini break, that winter break being pushed forward, having that ability for these players to rest and get, you know, recompose themselves really allowed us to to just uh, hit the ground running for the second half of the season. And I'm very optimistic that will happen again this year. Great stuff. Lovely. Um, great. Can't wait to see Callum back. Um, the big game yesterday, obviously, was uh, our trip to the Tony Macaroni Stadium. I think... Um, there's always kind of a little bit of trepidation going to that stadium just with recent uh, performances. However, uh, I thought Celtic were great. I thought Celtic played really, really well. I thought we took care of business, TCOB, uh, on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, we had the reaction, uh, which uh, recorded straight afterwards, uh, which is available on your RSS feed, on the app and on the website. So check it out. Very, very detailed uh, look back at the game. Uh, Paul Carlin, uh, Eddie Walsh and Lorenzo Pacitti doing a great job. Uh, Alan, you were at the game itself. Uh, talk us through the atmosphere. Talk us through the performance. Uh, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was a really comfortable performance. Um, you know, controlled the game throughout um, and managed to be clinical in the moments to take the game away from Livingston. So that was really positive. Um, atmospheres, it's always good. Um, I would, Libby's probably not one of the ones that you mark at the start of your calendar as a great away day. Um, it's not probably one of the one of the poorer ones um, when you look at the kind of makeup of the league, but always good when you go and it's not a stress. There was no real drama. Um, so no, it was, it was really positive. And as much as it's not one that you might look 
forward to as a fan, um, just actually in terms of the experience of going to the game. It's a great one to tick off um, and think maximum one more trip there this year because like the, the hoodoo, if you like, has somewhat been broken. It doesn't mean, though, that you don't look at it next time and think that it can always be a difficult place to go. Um, you know, I think scoring the early goal makes a big, big difference in the game. Yeah. So it's it's one that you would be glad if Livingston finished bottom six, you wouldn't be upset. You'd be quite content to see them down there because it's not a place generally where you can go and play as well as you did yesterday. It's not always going to be like that. But no, I think we managed the game really well. Some really good performances, some really key performances um, and some really interesting things to note from, you know, Team on the part, the dynamics without McGregor. You know, obviously, we're just off the back of the discussion there. It's quite interesting to see some of the players that have kind of stepped up and actually become the key communicators in the side in his absence. Um, so it's always quite interesting to see how that kind of develops um, when when the captain's not there. Give us a couple of names. Um, Matt O'Reilly, um, despite being one of the more junior members of the team, he it it, it does lead. Um, he talks everyone through the game. Um, I think we default to age when we think about who is who's more experienced. Joe Hart is, but it's not age. I think it's just the, his character. There was a point where Aaron Moy lost the ball yesterday and he got caught on it and then gave away a foul. And Matt O'Reilly pretty directly was was quite annoyed with him. And it wasn't because he gave away a foul. It, wasn't, it was just that he didn't move the ball quick enough. And it's not that Aaron Moy can't do that. It's that he opted not to do it. He held on to it too long. And I think O'Reilly was just telling him, you, you will get caught in the ball. You don't have that time. And, you know, it's that's a, what, 21-year-old um, who's played probably less than 150 career professional appearances. You know, speaking to a, an international player who's played in the Premier League, played for his country, you know, season professional but that is the nature of the game um, football is a horrendously it can age you very quickly and I think it was just it was nice to see that it's it's about what you're doing it's not about what you've done um, and O'Reilly really does look like one that he he has picked up a lot of the slack Greg Taylor another definitely um, but it is quite interesting to see that because McGregor Anyone that goes to Celtic Park or away games or anything, you'll notice that Callum McGregor does not stop talking throughout a game. He talks to everyone, um, as did Scott Brown before him. But in his absence, other players have been doing that. And Matt O'Reilly is certainly one that, that, that does jump out. He looks like a player that, I, I think I've said it before about him, he strikes me as ruthlessly professional. Um, and I don't think he's phased by anything. And playing in that new, deeper role, he realises that it's, he's probably now a bit more key to both defence and attack, and I think he's I think he's done really well on that. So it was interesting to see yesterday. Um, but I sit at Celtic Park, I'm quite far away from the pitch, so you don't really see it the same way. But there's a, a better view of it yesterday, and it, it did stand out to me. Uh, Keating, your thoughts on the game? Yeah, definitely. You know, it wasn't um, was wasn't breathtaking, but it was never going to be uh, breathtaking because Livingston are very disciplined side, a very tough ground on a very shit pitch. Um, but it's probably as good a performance as you can hope. It was very controlled. Like they had, you know, Nugley had that chance in the first ten minutes, and that was basically it. We, we, you know, we kept, you know, um, we kept the ball well, we recycled it well, we won it back well. I didn't think our pressing was overly great, um, but part of that is also just because Libby just lump it up <laughs> very, very shortly after 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 getting it. Um, but I think in general, and we were clinical as well. But I think it was the other thing because you're. You know, Kyogo scored that, which really sort of settled things. But up until, um, up until you know the penalty and then Jota's goal, we didn't really create 
too many clear-cut opportunities where we just we just um, but we just stuck to our task and we real as soon as we lost the ball, we won it back very very quickly most of the time. And as as you know, as as solid a performance as you really could really could ask for. And I think it's also been I I really enjoyed it because I think we haven't had a really really controlled performance in a tight game like that in some time. A lot, you know, in quite a, quite a few match days actually. When because we've been games that you know, Hibs where we blew them away, Motherwell where we blew them away, or it's been games that have been a much more on edge. Whether that's been Hearts or St Johnston. You know, it's been games that have been quite very well, quite very very nervy. Whereas yesterday, I just felt like we were all we were completely in control the entire time. Not that obviously not the time because I'm a very nervous person and I was incredibly hungover, which made it worse. But you know, I couldn't have asked for more. Um, yeah, and I thought, yeah, O'Reilly was really good, and uh, Hatati and Kyogo were both really good. Um, Taylor brilliant as well. So I, I do think it was a very reassuring performance, and it was good. It's great to see Jota back as well. Um, a really nice run for, for for Turnbull's goal as well, and Turnbull made a nice run. I, you know, I think Turnbull is this is kind of a make a break few months for him. Um, I, I I think he's contributed very little so far this season. So him making that run and making that cross, I think, could be could be an important thing for him because he is a confident he himself, like you know, two thirds of our team are confidence players. So maybe maybe we can see a bit more from him with the next you know the next few games before the World Cup, but we'll wait and see. Um, I thought Turnbull did fantastically well for the goal. I thought he, you know, <clears throat> a lot of players in those positions, in that position where he had so much time and so much time to think about it, got the ball under control, delivered a fantastic ball, great. And I was really, really impressed with him, um, specifically in that run of play. But I mean, I think you're probably right. I think Turnbull's a guy who will be, you know, looking at his minutes and maybe thinking, you know, am I going to get a start here? Um because I think he's got a lot of qualities and we, we consistently talk about whether he fits into the system or and, and all that stuff. But ultimately, the, the kind of brass tacks about it are he wants to start and he's at an age where he needs to start probably more consistently. So it'll be interesting to see how Ange manages his expectations and, and, and what he wants from it and, you know, versus, you know, w- whether he goes or not or whatever. But um, I thought Kyogo's goal was delightful, delicious technically excellent smashes and just really really smart awareness he also had that opportunity very similar about you know a couple of minutes later where he's really really unlucky he's kind of crowded out but it was great to see Kyogo Allen kind of after that goal looking bright looking sharp dropping deeper picking the ball up moving the ball around these guys as Kieran's used the phrase confidence players a number of times but he is a guy that when he's on form he is different level yeah I think he he feeds off the energy of being the man that scores goals. Um, you get players that are happy with their overall contribution, and he does have an overall contribution. Um, but him putting the ball in the back of the net, I think, just gives him so much. I think it, he feeds off that as much as we do. Um, he he was delighted with, with it immediately. He loves the adulation that he gets from the crowd, and he knows that the way to get that is to stick the ball in the back of the net and you know a left-footed powerful drive like that um, it's not a tap-in that is a goal that he's really um, it's not been put in a plate for him it's a really really good finish and so early in the game it was key so I think it meant a lot to him you can see just clearly after the game how much it meant to him um, he went round every stand um, to celebrate at the end and 
he loved it as much as like some of the kids at five or six years old that were jumping up and down around us and in front of us. So it's really, really good to see and he feeds off that. I think more generally in the performance of some of the players, I think what was key to the win yesterday was the patience that we showed. Um, we talked about Livy, I think, last week and we said what they'll try and do. They'll, they're happy for you to deliver um, crosses in because they'll take their chances that they will deal with that. We quite clearly decided yesterday that we'd rather play in tight areas and draw them out. And I think that's where you see a couple of the goals come from. Um, you know, Haksavanovic, I, I think initially I felt like he underperformed, but actually it, I think what he didn't want to do was just take on Devlin to then beat him to get space to put a cross in. So instead he just continually came back, played it inside and just tried to play through. And I, I, I found myself thinking yesterday he's, he's struggling, but I felt like it was it was a, maybe a tactical decision, unless there is significant space in behind him, if you beat him, don't just take him on to then have to cross it in because they'll feed off that. So I think the patience was there. Um, I thought it was a really good and really, I think Kieran's right, not breathtaking, but really professional, a really good win. And there was some kind of tactical elements that were quite key to it and playing in tight areas with, you know, Taylor, Hatati and Haksavanovic at times was was really good to see um, and seeing it at full speed like that you know, being very, very close to it was, you know, you're continually impressed by their ability in the ball. And it was a really positive performance. Um, really, really good to see. Um, and no dramas defensively. Um, as I say, the, the reaction kind of covers everything. Um, and it covers uh, Greg Taylor in detail. I think everyone's kind of waxing lyrical about him at the moment. His finish was absolutely superb. Um, one of the first names in the team sheet currently. Uh, but Kieran, another aspect is uh, VAR. It went our way. We got the penalty. Were you shocked? Um, maybe, I was maybe a little bit surprised because it was much less of a clear penalty than the Hearts one was. Yeah. Um, in my, I think I, I think it was. I think you could make a case either way. Um, other people were saying, well, if it got given against you, you'd be fuming and I think I, I, I you would be, but at the same time, I think there is a credible case that Darm's in an unnatural position as close as it is, because you know it's your arm should be there, <laughs> like like as close as it is. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, I'd take it. Um, happy with it. First penalty in six months, which is pretty astonishing when you think about not only the volume of games we play or how dominant we play, but also the type of football we play, where we do like, you know, close one-touch football inside the box to try and create our chances. It's pretty remarkable. We've not had a um, penalty since April before that. So, yeah, I think it was, it's, I'd say, that, you know, it could go either way and I'm happy we got it. Uh, I've got other VAR opinions to come, but, uh, yeah, I'll let you delegate to Alan first. Uh, I just want to highlight um, Jordan Campbell of the the Athletic, your former employers. Uh, just that tweet where he basically says the handball rule needs uh, looked at again, as it can be easily abused. Easily abused by who? <laughs> who can it be easily abused by? Especially with VAR. Sure, there are other. I'm sure there are other examples, but that's two weeks in a row that Celtic player has chipped the ball into the arm of a player two yards away. Um, and then I think the Celtic wiki have put up on Twitter, there's a, a, a kind of screenshot of him when it was Rangers the day before saying, I think that's another handball penalty, to be honest with you. So. <laughs> um, terrific stuff, Alan. Um, what's your thoughts? 
Yeah, um, I'm sure there are other examples, but I won't go and seek them out. I'll nah. just use Celtic's example. Um, yeah, I did have a wee chuckle at that yesterday, but um, I'll be respectful. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I just it made me laugh. I enjoyed it. So, you know, it's, you know, whenever our next game's on Sky and um, the eyes of... Uh, the eyes are watching us, then hopefully there's you know another decision. I thought it was a penalty. Um you can fair enough if you're gripes with the rule, but you know, there was one as Keenan says, there was one a couple of weeks before that, that clearly was a penalty. I think the player motioned towards the ball to change its direction and the referee didn't even have a glance at it. So if you're gripes with VAR then you're completely accurate. But um it didn't seem like that. It just seemed like it was a bit annoyed that we get a penalty, which we then spectacularly cocked up. So um, I personally don't think they count if you don't score them, so I don't see what all the fuss is about. Um, yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, Ange on the game, a few times they got throw-ins. I'll, I'll be just letting Gigi away with the penalty. No, I was going to come. Completely... I, I, I was going to come back. Uh, I, I thought Gigi looked a bit. I, I'm a I'm a Gigi fan, but he looked hopeless mm-hmm. yesterday. He just he looked. Someone described him as looking like he was hungover after a night out or something, <laughs> just by by his movement and stuff. But ach, it was just wasn't his day. Um, it was a terrible, terrible penalty miss, and it was highlighted about three times um, when he before when he was mentioned on the bench, when he came on, and when he got the penalty. Those three times it was mentioned on Sky that exactly this time last year he missed a penalty against Livingston, uh, and then he goes and misses again. Uh, it was a terrible penalty miss, uh, Kieran, but we were winning. So what are you going to do? Yeah, it wasn't great. Um, but I think everyone which pointed out, he's at his best when he's he doesn't have time to think and he's inside the box. Um, that's that's what he's good at. The other stuff, less so. And but we, we know this by now. We've known him for over a year now. We know the stuff he's good at, and the stuff he isn't. And yesterday just didn't pan out for him. Um, yeah, it's it's one of those. Like I think the difference with Gigi is, I think he isn't a confidence player. I think he is somebody you can just put him there and he will either have. I don't think like confidence necessarily dictates his performance. I think it is just he is somebody who will just score goals inside the box if a delivery has come to him. He might miss a few sitters or he might he might spurn his penalty, but he will get you goals because that's what he does. Um, I don't think his I don't think it's down to confidence. It's just um, poor execution or good execution. I think a lot of the time. Yeah, um, he uh, he shouldn't take a penalty again, though, Alan. Nah, I don't think we're blessed with great penalty takers in this side, though. I did, you know, I was looking through and thinking, and then I was trying to think who has taken penalties before. It's not a, uh, yeah, it's not a vintage group. We don't have a French Eddie that is just really confident he'll score, and he's trying to decide then how will I score and how can I possibly try and embarrass the aged goalkeeper that I'm taking the penalty against. Um, it was a great penalty. It's never nice when it hits the outside of the post as well. I think that's much worse than the inside of the post. There's a slight dignity that comes with hitting the inside of the post. Um, and he was, like, when he came on, he was like a bill in a china shop. Um, but, yeah, I think he says that. So I really like Gigi. I just prefer him when he's inside the box because I think when he's outside the box some of the decision-making and some of the things he loves to get involved with defenders. And I largely think defenders get the best of him, but when he's inside the box, it's a completely different story. So, yeah, it's just, we know that. But, you know, he found himself in the middle of the park a number of times yesterday and just kind of seemed to do things that you, make you wonder why you signed him. Um, so inside the box, GG, yes. Outside the box, GG, 
No. Um, I mean, uh, Callum McGregor missed a penalty the last time we were at Livingston as well. Um, uh, yeah, Manager Ange Postacoglu on the game said, the few times they got throw-ins into the box or free kicks, we dealt with them really well and our football was good after that. Our form from the start of the year has been really strong. Our performances have had a really consistent note and we need that to continue. Um, I think you've kind of summed it up. You've both summed it up. Um, controlled performance, uh, very good in regards to just um, football intelligence and seeing it out and, you know, making sure that didn't do anything too stupid. Um there was a small period of time where CCV was getting a little bit roughed up, but he got over that himself, and that's a good kind of you know challenge that was laid down to him that he kind of stood up to. Um, so ultimately, a really good performance and uh, an excellent three points. Um, let's go over now to the Colt Report. This week, Celtic B marked a return to domestic action for the first time since 8th of October as he travelled to take on Cumbernauld Colts. However, first up for the young side was their final home outing in this season's race for youth league group stages, facing Shakhtar Donetsk at the Excelsior Stadium. Darren Dean, Steve McManus' side, still had an outside chance of going through to the knockout stages, however, victory last Tuesday was essential. The two coaches stuck with mostly the same team, barring the introduction of Daniel Kelly, replacing the suspended Kenzie Cars. The opening 45 minutes proved to be a positive one for the Hoops, who were the side looking to take control of the game. And they had the perfect opportunity to do that around 20 minutes in, as the referee awarded a penalty after Matthew Anderson was brought down in the box. Up stepped Adam Brooks, who was looking to put his last miss from the spot against Arbury behind him. However, the striker missed the target. The closest the boys came to open the scoring was through Anderson, who was unlucky not to see his effort go into the back of the net after a goalkeeping mistake, but it somehow stayed out, striking the crossbar. A summer performance was needed in the second half from Celtic, However, it wasn't to be if Shakhtar took control of the game. The wayside had a series of chances before slotting the ball home to take a one-goal lead in the second half. Ultimately, the Hoops couldn't produce a lever and officially exited the competition with Shakhtar securing their place in the next stage. The boys couldn't afford to dwell on that result for too long though as they returned to Lee action making a short trip to Broadwood Stadium. The coaching duo rung the changes with a more experienced phases such as Boston Noel, Kenzie Cars and Huron Oto returning to the side. And it started off brilliantly for the Hoops, who took the lead after just two minutes thanks to a miscontrolled pass by the Cumbernauld Colts goalkeeper, which ended up in the back of his own net. Despite the positive start, the game was then flipped on its head moments later. Defender Yonoto was sent off, with Celtic going down to 10 men for the remaining 85 minutes of the game due to a last man challenge. Although Celtic were able to continue a fast frantic start to the match as Joey Dawson doubled the lead following some nice build up play. From there though, the match went downhill for the Hoops as they saw their two goal leads slip before the break thanks to a penalty and tidy finish in the box. O'Day and McManus attempted to make changes, introducing the likes of Adam Brooks and Rocco Vata to the game. However, the boys found themselves at the end of a frustrating result, conceding a further two goals in the second half which included another from the penalty spot and a mistake playing out from the back. The task of playing it almost the entire game with 10 men was just too much on the afternoon as the home side came away victorious in a 4-2 win. Once again though, the Hoops are quickly back in action as they look to bounce back from their recent defeats, but it doesn't come any harder than facing Real Madrid in their final youth league outing. And then they take on Open Goal Broomhill at home next Saturday. (laughs) 
That was the Colt Report with our good friend Lewis Laird. Uh, you can check Lewis out on Twitter, Lewis Laird zero one on Twitter. He does fantastic stuff looking at the Colt team and uh, some of the lone players as well. So he's worth a follow. Um, just a point uh, on Ange looking ahead to the Real Madrid game. So Celtic played Real Madrid on Wednesday. It's a five forty five kickoff uh, UK time uh, in the Champions League. Uh, Here's some quotes about uh, what Ange is thinking moving forward with this game. What we've tried to do in this whole Champions League campaign is experience it in the context of testing ourselves. We've done that in every game. I understand we've come up short and we know the areas we've come up short in. We haven't shied away from the contest in any game. We haven't gone in there fearing what the outcome may be if we take a normal approach. We've just gone in and seen how things measure up and that's what we'll do on Wednesday. From that perspective, I'm really proud of the players. It would have been easier just to go out there with damage limitation on your mind, but they're looking forward to testing themselves. The only way to get something out of these experiences is by not going into your shell and fearing what the outcome's going to be, but by taking as bold an approach as we can. Yes, we're disappointed. Yes, we wanted the results to be better, but no one can tell me we haven't gone into every game playing our football and testing ourselves. And whether people think that deserves merit or is or not is kind of irrelevant to me. I'm under no illusions as to areas where we need to improve and neither are the players. Um, we're going to go into this game guns blazing the way we have before. Um, and why the hell not? Uh, it's, uh, you know, we, we don't have anything to lose except I don't want us to get pumped. <laughs> I think it's the... Uh, I'm all for, see, everything Ange says, like, you know, about, you know, integrity and, you know, not changing your game. Absolutely. I'm all for that, in theory. Um, <laughs> you know what I've got in my head right now? See, Cal McGregor, when he's chasing down Bonabarisic, that's what I want to show you right now. <laughs> shite bag. Absolutely. 100%. Massive, massive shite bag. Um, there's a quick James Hendry message um, emailed in to say, in my opinion, Greg Taylor and Rio Hitati were standout performers for Celtic in the Champions League. However, Kyogo and a few others were disappointing. Do the panel feel the whole occasion of Champions League football was too much for some of them? Abada, for instance, looked out of his depth and who can improve and reach the level required to be success? Jim Hendry. Hi, thanks, Jim. Um, has experience of the Champions League kind of um, maybe, and it's not necessarily a surprise, but, you know, going from the level that we've been playing at domestically to playing Real Madrid in the Champions League and in these games, has it maybe got to the, some of the players a little bit, Kieran? Maybe, and maybe that's understandable? Yeah, I think so. And I think it's just been a real reminder that the, the, the margins are so fine. And we've we've talked about it all the way through these past two months, but the margins really are right ridiculously fine at this level. And I, I think some players have, have stepped up and they've looked really set there. I, I agree completely that Taylor and Atate have been the two for me that have stood out um as being as competing properly. Um and that have been I mentioned earlier with, with Juranovic, I, I was well, maybe not caught but I was hopeful Juranovic would be one of those types of players who the type of player he is would suit European football as a technical player at this level. It hasn't worked out for him. It hasn't worked out for Kyogo. It, well, whatever, Kyogo. It hasn't worked out really. It didn't really work out for Jota. And I think O'Reilly was quite disappointing as well. Those are very technically gifted players that you you hope can reach that level, and they just they just haven't. Um, I think, but I think we have to just. This was apart from McGregor and about sixty minutes of game time for Jota. This was basically all of their. All outfield players, first time in the Champions League. 
loads of them are still young. Loads of them barely played any European football in general. Never mind Champions League football. I think the challenge now is just to preserve this this group of players, strengthen in two, three, four key areas, improve the starting eleven, make sure maybe that uh, we're entirely confident players can come in and uh, contribute immediately next summer, which is something we didn't do with our transfer business this summer. Um, so that, that's where we, you know, look, look to improve. And I think it, it was quite sobering. It was a bit of a reality check. But if you if you were trying to think about it rationally. It was always going to be that way, and you know maybe we could have got. The, we didn't get many breaks of the ball. Our finishing was poor. You know if if Kyogo puts that chance away uh, at home at Shakhtar, Gigi puts that chance away to Shakhtar, and we do get you know five points uh, or four points, sorry, or even seven points, then we're looking at it differently. But it's just the nature of the game, and you know we'll, we'll learn from it. And it's, it has been disappointing. It has been a bit of. A, confidence dent in the project because ultimately two seasons in Andrew's best result in Europe is either at home to AZ or away at Ferencvaros his best, his best win uh, I mean and that isn't good enough for a Celtic manager you know, that's not a, you know, I'm not saying Andrew or anything but it's, it's just the, the reality that in Europe we've been disappointing um, and that shouldn't take away from how credible we've been domestically but it's just it is important what have we doing in Europe? And it's just, I think the atmosphere seemed quite flat last week as well. Not not to relitigate, you know, all you guys have covered it brilliantly since then, um, but it just feels like we do need a season and soon of being good in Europe because it feels that if the fans have just seemed to have given up hope <laughs> that we can do something in Europe now, and that's a really grim proposition. Um, Alan, just that final quote from Ange. I'm under no illusion as to where the areas where we need to improve, and neither are the players. Um, I like that. I like the fact he's coming out saying that that there is a need to improve. Um, the game against Real Madrid. Um, you know, you mentioned it the other day about you know going to the Bernabeu. And we've we've really thought about it. This isn't necessarily the the position we we would have liked to have been in, but nonetheless, it's Celtic in Europe. Whether the game. Whether the points mean anything ultimately doesn't matter. We need to go out there, we need to play our game, and we need to at least put in a strong performance. Yeah, I, I think look, it's, it's disappointing to be going there and the group has decided you're not going to be in any European competition after Christmas. However, we have talked a lot about learning at this stage and learning what it means to compete at Champions League level. You only We, we only have six games in which to do that, so this is one of those six. It'll be probably the toughest of the six. You need to make sure that you take that learning from it. So the only way you can do that is by going and taking it seriously and trying to compete. Um, I think any sort of positive result on Wednesday, as unlikely as that feels, would still be, I think would still, I've used this expression intentionally a lot. It, it would be seen as legitimate. It would be, it would give legitimacy to the way the players are approaching these games We've been hoping for that throughout this campaign and we've had positive performances, but we've not had the positive result yet that we really needed with the exception of Shakhtar away, which as disappointing as it was not to win, it's you know it's, it's a point away from home in a, a European group stage game. So you take it. Um, we, we could be doing with something like that. And even though it is a dead rubber for us, obviously there's something in it for Madrid, 
Um, if you were to get any sort of positive result there, I think it would be a huge morale boost for players, managers, everything. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think there's plenty at stake. It's not the game. I know a lot of people aren't looking forward to it. They feel that there's, the risk is there and the reward isn't. But the players don't have the, the luxury of approaching it like that. They'll approach it in this, the manner they probably largely would have. There's maybe a little bit of pressure off, but... There is a there's like an, another side to that as you mentioned at the start as well. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be interesting. I've always wanted to see Celtic play at the Bernabeu. So um, you know, looking forward to it. See how we go on. You never know. You never know. It's all and about it's like, like two point five million a win as well. So, you know, get a finger out, lads. <laughs> Give them big bonuses. Take a briefcase of cash like it's the Russian Premier League circa twenty ten and promise each of the players twenty grand if they win. I'm in. Anything to get a win, frankly. Uh, this has been great. We'll we'll have a preview that the re, the sorry the review tonight. We'll look at the Livingston game in more technical detail. Um, then there'll be a preview of the Real Madrid game dropping on Wednesday early doors. I think six a.m. Uh, we'll be dropping then, so you can get a chance to listen to it. Um, but that's us for this week on the. Uh, on the agenda it's been terrific as always thank you very much um lots of stuff coming up this week we get 10 podcasts this week so uh listen out and uh enjoy kieran devlin it's been a pleasure sir pleasure's all mine chris thanks for having alan edgar speak to you soon sir take care remember your door will be going tonight potentially so be alert to that and be aware i will have both my storm doors closed so not a problem Mm. uh yeah have a good one (laughs) <laughs> you said that in a very simple way have a good one that's fine I'm very nervous about it we'll see how the night goes Alan see as soon as we're done recording here just go to your mums just leave okay. just get out right. uh, from Kieran Devlin from Alan Edgar from myself Chris Gallagher this has been The Agenda and we'll speak to you down the road <laughs>